that may be the greatest missions pastor that the world has ever seen, to be honest with you, man. That's just, uh, don't know how fortunate we are that we have Jonathan and Rebecca here and what they've done and what they've done around the world and for outreach is just um, so much of what they do is, is unseen. Only if you've gone on a trip or you hear a reporter, know some of our missionaries, but wow, what, what a ministry. Um, a couple things. Uh, so the mixed drink idea, I, John, I think that's wonderful. Um, probably start that next week. Have to add another service, I'm sure. Uh, probably another Saturday night service is what it'll need to be. So. <laughs> oh, the things we say that we don't quite know what we're saying. Uh, Daniel and I speaking Friday. So let me, let me tell you what that is real quick and give you an invite. If you haven't been to men's ministry, Gary Vogt runs our men's ministry, uh, is doing a great job with that, and I appreciate that. And if you're looking for a touch point, you're looking for a connection point, looking for a way to meet other guys, or maybe you're new, or maybe you've been around for a while. So what Gary invited Daniel and I to do, Daniel's my son, uh, just in case you don't know, and it's two generations, obviously. And so Gary said, John, what would you say to a younger generation than what would you say to your generation? And then he said to Daniel, what would you say to an older generation, to your generation? So we both have 15 minutes to do that. Now, I have 23 things I want to say to the younger generation. No, I don't. Um, and so uh, Daniel and I are going to do that. And so maybe you'd want to invite your son. Or maybe you're a son that attends here and you'd want to invite your dad. How about that right there? But it'd be a great way uh, to make a connection. And I think that you might enjoy that. There'll be food at it. The reason we're asking you to register is because we do prepare a meal with that. And we need to prepare the right way, right? And have enough or not too much. Either way, and so if you would, jfc.org, uh, and then just look for the men's event, and you can sign up right there, but love to have you there. Uh, would appreciate you being there. And then Terror, the bike ride is Sunday. is Sunday, so it's a week from today. So if you are a biker, uh, and I don't mean uh, pedal, uh, motorized, right? You're a biker, you have a motorcycle. We do a ride once a year, and it'll be right after this service. And so if you have a bike and you'd like to join us, what we're going to do is first time in this building that we've done it. We've only been in it 60 days. So uh, in the back, um, you know, the, the cutout back there where the playground's going to go and where, um, you know, kind of the, the back entrance, we're going to have the bikes line up back there and uh, we'll take off right after church. So we'd love to invite you to that too. Uh, if you'd like to, it's a fun ride. Uh, Woodland Park, is that where they're head? Where, where to? Do you even know? It's a secret. It's a secret. You don't know is what that means. <laughs> you do know. Is it going to be worth it? Yeah. And then a back road to Sedalia. Okay. So leave here, lunch. Mixed drinks along the way. Mixed drinks. No, 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 no. We are not drinking and riding motorcycles. That is not what is going to happen. Coffee, have a latte, but no, not. <laughs> That's going to get us in trouble. And I'm the one. Jonathan Murley did it. You're the one who did that right there. I should have just left that alone. Okay. Um, and then just one other thing before we jump into the message. Uh, for those that go to our church um, so we're celebrating something special this weekend, uh, at least uh, special very much to our family and to those. Six years ago, I had a heart attack this weekend uh, in the pulpit at our Lakewood campus. And, um, you know, you go through that and you survive that. 
and you have a new appreciation for life that you just don't have before that. And I think what we do, it's not that we don't appreciate our lives, but when you're suddenly faced with the mortality, like it might be taken away from you, all of a sudden, every moment becomes precious after that, right? And you just are like, uh, it counts and it matters. And Chris and I uh, woke up yesterday morning. I, I thank the Lord for the last six years, right? You just don't know. Um, and I had it at 52 years old when it happened to me, and you just don't know. You think those are things that happen when you're, when you're much older than that, but it didn't happen uh, to me that way. It happened at a much younger age and just so thankful to, to pastor this church for the last six years and to be able to walk through what we've gone through in the last six years and to have six more years with, I, I thought of all my grandchildren, six and under, who wouldn't have known me, who wouldn't have, wouldn't have remembered me, you know, maybe a picture is all and how precious that is. And then at the same time, I thought for the ones who don't have that word and maybe you've got a loss and man, we... we just want you to know we love you too and grieve with you, and um, we get it. We really do, but we're appreciative to the Lord for, um, for what he does in our lives. Amen? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just amen. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not an anniversary you want, believe me, but uh, you, you'll take it on the other side of it. Okay. We're in a series called The Unseen War. And it is literally just that. We're just talking about a war that goes on around us that you can't see with your eyes. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see it. You have to have your heart in tune with the Holy Spirit. You have to have your ears open by the Holy Spirit so that you know what you're dealing with. And that unseen war simply uh, is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible tells us, but we wrestle against principalities and spiritual wickedness and authorities and high places. So that if you find yourself wrestling with another person, the truth of the matter is for sure, uh, we can have people that are ornery, we can have people that are messed up in our lives, we can have people that are toxic, no question about that. But the real enemy is not the one that you see, it's the one operating behind the scenes who loves to remain invisible because you'll end up spending your time, your effort, your energy fighting the wrong battle while he just simply moves around and continues to sow tears in your life, to sow uh, trouble in your life, to sow discord in your life and just all sorts of factions, right? But when we spot him and when we see him, then we can do battle against him. And then here's the good news. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we win the battle. We can stand strong and we can defeat the enemy. And so that's what this is teaching right here, the unseen war. So I mentioned last week that we fight three battles. Let me just do this real quick. I'm going to, uh, so my staff has been brutal on me. I've got a lot of scriptures this week. Is it okay to have scriptures in church? I mean, you know, if you're going to have them any place, this is a good place. And my staff has been teasing me like, hey, are you going to read the whole Bible uh, in, this, uh, in this message? Just the New Testament mostly, to be honest with you. Uh, so I, um, I, I'm going to do this first part as fast as I can because I think that it is the fill-in-the-blank part, and there's just a couple of them, that is where the, the message is at and the power of it's at. So I mentioned last week when we started the series that we fight three battles according to uh, the Word. We fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then Terry had a group that met last week, and the question in the group was, how do we know the difference between the two? Are they all pretty much the same? I mean, how, how do you know? So you do have to have the Holy Spirit help you with that. But let me just point out real quickly the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And I'll show you a couple of scriptures. So uh, 1 John 2, 15, uh, this is John, the disciple, the beloved. He writes this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So it's not talking about the 
earth, the creation of the earth. It's not talking about nature. I mean, how many of you are thankful that we live in the best state of all 50 of them? I mean, this is, I looked last night, the last two days looking at the mountains, how perfect it is to be in Colorado right now. Uh, A friend of mine, Bill and I, we played golf the other day and it was right when the sun was going down. It was just so beautiful. It was so perfect. And I was so thankful to live in Colorado. And just, God is not against us enjoying nature. He's not against us appreciating this world. Uh, He's actually said, I I give you authority and dominion in it. And that doesn't mean to trample it under your feet. It means to take care of it. We're stewards of it, right? We're to take care of it. And so it's not that that he's talking about, but it's the system uh, of a fallen world. It's the things that lure your heart away from God, like the pursuit of money or the lust of the flesh, right? Or the things that come with it. That's what John's talking about. So he's not saying it's wrong to love the world. It's the system of the world that can pull your heart away from God. And so what that is saying in that scripture is, if we have more love for the things of the world rather than the things of God, then his love is not the love that's in us. It's the love of the world that's in us. And we need to have the love of the Father. So you overcome the world by loving God. Right? Have more of the love of God in you than the world. The second one, the flesh. How do we know what the flesh is? All right, so there's a scripture where Paul's writing and he gives a great, like, flip the coin. This side is what the flesh is. This side is what the spirit is. So let me read it to you. It's Galatians 5. It's these verses. So I say, walk by the spirit. Here's how you overcome the flesh. Walk by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify or satisfy the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is, what's that word right there? What is? contrary to the Spirit. It wants the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. So one of the ways we know what the flesh is, what does the Spirit of God want? What does the flesh want? Because those things are always in competition with each other. And by the way, so let me just say this real quickly. If you are born again, if you love Jesus, if you're a Christian, a believer, a follower of Christ, however you want to phrase that, right? You, you give your heart to the Lord. That's when the battle starts. The battle is not on before you are a believer. The battle starts once you're a believer because now you're going the opposite way of the flesh, Right? So that if you find yourself in a struggle, you find yourself not able to always overcome, you find yourself that there's this, uh, the Bible calls it a besetting, a sin that continues to happen. My, I got to take it a little ginger coming down the stairs. I'm getting older. Um, (laughs) The flesh, it shows up in a lot of ways, right? Just the body that also. All right, so if you find yourself struggling with something, Peg, you just are like, I can't, I can't seem to overcome this, or I do seem to, but then it comes back and gets me. That's the part of the flesh that we struggle with. So if you struggle with something, it doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It means that you are a believer. Danny, you are a believer when you struggle. Do you get that? Thank you, three people who get that this morning. So I, is it just the Saturday people who struggle and nobody in here struggles with the flesh? Anybody struggle this morning? The last five minutes? Come on, we struggle. So it's the proof that we struggle, the fact that we're born again, right? That's, that's how we know. We, we struggle because we're trying to go against the flesh. Let me finish reading this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Uh, They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So he uses some terms here that we don't use in everyday vernacular, but you can get the understanding. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, idolatry, witchcraft, which is rebellion, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. So I told a story last week real quick, um, and I'll just fillet myself again. Uh, um, 
I literally, I prepared this message, The Unseen War. I'm driving from my house Saturday night to teach that message. I stop at my mailbox. I put some letters in the mailbox. And I turn around, and literally there's a guy in a Jeep driving down the street, looking, staring me down and flipping me off, just driving by slow, flipping me off, right? I just wrote a message on The Unseen War. I just wrote a message that we don't battle flesh and blood, but there's things behind it that motivate people and that are driving people. So I lift my hands and pray for the guy, right? Dude, I jumped in my car, I do a U-turn, and I chased him up the street. I, I'm now running late because I'm chasing this dude. I'm rolling down my window and yelling, pull over! Pull over, you chicken! Pull over! And he saw me and then he took off. And then I heard the Holy Spirit, hey, Pastor John. <laughs> you need to go preach at church. You might want to stop this. And so the only reason I even tell that story is, listen to me very quickly. We're all in the same boat. And this battle of flesh that we fight, dude, it will come up just like that. It will happen so fast that unless the Holy Spirit is speaking, you don't even recognize it and you are fighting the wrong thing and you are wasting so much energy and so much time and you laugh at me, but I guarantee you if I could look at your life, I'd find something where you battle the flesh. So maybe it's not temper, but maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an attitude. So somebody reveals theirs and we feel better because, man, I, I didn't go do that. We battle it. The way you know you're born again is that after you battle it, you do not feel good about it. You know what I mean? I don't go home and brag to my wife, hey, I almost got in a fight today. In fact, I called Chris. You remember what she said? Remember how small you are, John. She didn't say that. She, when I went home last week, she said, I didn't say that to you. I know, but it's funny when I say it. So. <laughs> Okay, the flesh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Uh, so Paul, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So just real quickly, that has been interpreted the wrong way. Paul is writing this to a church. He's writing this to believers, correct? He's not writing this to the Roman government. Hey, Caesar, let me tell you what I think about the way you live. The world doesn't care, and the world, who knows? This is written to believers who are struggling with the flesh. So he's telling them, if you are living for the flesh, right, then you're not listening to the Spirit, and ultimately, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And so many people think that means heaven. But the Bible uses the two terms independently of each other, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is heaven. The kingdom of God is, according to the book of Romans, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, if you live by the flesh, you are not going to feel righteous, you are not going to have peace, and you are not going to have joy in the Holy Spirit. You will die and go to heaven. Your passport is stamped. You get to heaven based on what Jesus did, not what you do. This can't turn into works right now. You get to heaven because Jesus died for you, and you gave your life to him, and you are covered under the blood of Jesus, which we're going to talk about today. But you will not enjoy, as a believer on this earth, Eric, you will not have the peace that God wants you. So your passport is stamped heaven, but your life here feels like hell. Yes or no? We have a room full of people today that if I could spend that time every day with you, I would find out quickly, 
Are you living by the Spirit or are you gratifying the flesh? Because the difference is life and death. You will feel like the devil will condemn you. You're not a good bullet. You're not going to hell. How many of you feel that sometimes? Put that away. That's not what's being said here. All right, so then he flips the coin. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy. Remember, it's the opposite of the flesh. Love, joy. Real quick, how many mean more love in their life? I mean, you're a psycho if you don't raise your hand right now. How many need more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control? Yes. And I heard Joyce Meyer say this one time, the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, which is so huge. It's everything. And then it ends with self-control, which is so narrow, huh? Isn't that funny how God does that? It just kind of sandwiches. It bookends the two things together. So the flesh... We overcome the flesh then by the Holy Spirit and by yielding to the Holy Spirit and by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and listening to the Holy Spirit. That's why we need spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. Okay, the last one, the one we'll hit real quick. The devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So when you're fighting the devil, I just put down probably the four main ways that the enemy comes against us. He's a tempter. Um, so I, I, I'll give you the reference. I won't read it so I can hurry. Matthew 4.1 is the tempter. He's a deceiver, meaning he's a liar. It's Matthew 13, 39. He's an accuser. Literally, he stands in heaven. Oh, this is interesting. Um, so he, he's allowed to stand in heaven and to accuse us. But the Bible says that Jesus is in heaven making intercession for us at the same time. So this is interesting, right? This is the high holidays for, um, for the Jewish people right now. So we, we, we start, we've got Rosh Hashanah, then we've got the Day of Atonement, and then we've got the Feast of Tabernacles. And by the way, I'm going to bring back the Feast of Tabernacles yesterday, and we're going we're gonna to set, or yeah, well, I'll, I'll speak more about that. We wanted to do it this year, but just, it just didn't work with getting in the building and everything that's going on. So um, last time we did it, we had over 3,000 people at our Feast of Tabernacle. We rented out the Douglas County Event Center. It got so big, I was just like, this has turned into a thing of its own, man. Um, yeah, we, and we were doing it for nights at a time, but we want to bring it back and we want to celebrate. Okay, so Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish uh, New Year, and you blow the trumpet. And on the Day of Atonement, you blow the trumpet, the shofar. And then, to celebrate the Feast of Tab, you blow the trumpet again. And so this is what the ancient rabbis used to teach, that when the enemy was trying to accuse God's people, when the shofar would blow, they'd hear it in heaven, and it would confuse the enemy. That the word is confound. You can even look it up. It's really interesting that when the shofar blows, that the trumpet is so clear and so loud that it confounds. The enemy doesn't know what he's saying. So it's like God's like, what? What? Are you, what? what are you saying? I can't hear you. The trumpet's blowing, Satan. Shut up. <laughs> While Jesus is making intercession for us. Yeah, it is. I, you know, yeah, I need to teach more on that. So he is an accuser who stands in heaven accusing us, but Jesus makes intercession for us. and tell, So everything, every accusation that the enemy makes to God about us, they say they love you, but look at how they live. Jesus says, yes, but my blood has washed away all of that. So there's nothing there to accuse them of. They are guilt-free, they are innocent, and they are mine. And the Father goes, you're right. Done deal, ratified. So he is also an afflictor. Not all sickness is from the enemy, but the enemy can afflict with sickness. That's a confusing thing for people. So then how do you pray? You have to know what you're dealing with. You have to know. And the scripture, Luke 13, 16, is Jesus saying that this woman has been held in bondage or afflicted by the enemy 
for 14 years. So we overcome the devil by what Jesus has done for us. So let me look at 1 John 3, 8 real quick. Pull that up. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So how did Jesus do that, and how do we tap into that? So if you're taking the notes and you want them real quick, the first one is just simply the blood of the Lamb. So let me read this scripture to you. This is Revelation 12, verse 11. This is prophetic. Now, it's already happened because Jesus has died, and he was resurrected, and he's ascended into heaven, but it's playing out now on the earth until he returns. So this is Revelation 12, verse 11. Um, And look at... So they, that's us, have defeated him, the enemy. And here's the way that they defeat the enemy. By the blood of the lamb and by their what? Their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. So how do I connect then overcoming the enemy by the blood of the lamb? What does that mean? And I recognize, man, we have such a wide variety of people in our church. Some are more skilled than I am with the word of God. You've done it longer. You know it better. You, you've heard better teaching than this, but some of you are brand new and you're in the very uh, the, the, the beginning stages of your spiritual walk. How do you take a group that can be in that place and then teach them something so deep? So uh, this is where I've got to use scripture to do this so that you get this. So starting in the Old Testament, what Israel would do, and this is what the Bible tells us about the Old Testament, it's a type and a shadow. It's a foretelling. It's a, it's a picture, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things. So in the Old Testament, what Israel would do once a year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would do a sacrifice, and they would use a sacrificial lamb. You ever heard that term in our society, a sacrificial lamb? A person who's innocent that gets the blame for something, right? It's exactly what it is. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He was innocent without sin, but he took our guilt and our shame and our sin upon himself, a sacrificial lamb. But long before Jesus ever walked on the earth, Israel had a picture of what that day was going to look like. So they had a high priest. They had many priests, but they had one high priest, And the high priest was the only one who in the temple could go into a place called the Holy of Holies. There was a big curtain in front of the Holy of Holies. And the reason they called it that, God's presence dwelt in this place. So not just anybody could walk in there because the holiness of God, dude, it's perfection. And it can't be in imperfection. So there was this curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. And once a year, the high priest would sacrifice many sacrifices for the people, but he'd take the blood of the lamb and he'd go into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the mercy seat is what they called it. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and cry out, holy is the Lord, mercy, mercy, mercy. And once a year, God would cover over the sins of Israel, not take away, but cover over the sins of Israel with the blood of the innocent for the guilty. And they do this generation after generation after generation. And they had to pick a lamb that was perfect. The Bible says without any blemish and without any imperfection. And this is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was perfect without any blemish and without any imperfection. And they would sacrifice the lamb and take the blood of the innocent and apply it to the guilty. The Day of Atonement is the most holy day in Israel. The people were to fast, not do any work. And allow just the recognition of we need the Lord's mercy in our life. How many of you need God's mercy in your life? God, we live with it every day that it can become so commonplace. We forget what it costs to have mercy in our lives. So the high priest once a year would go in. So let me read this to you real quick. Um, This started at the Passover. The Passover literally is the longest continual celebration on the earth by any people group. The Passover. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, this is God talking, 
I will pass over you. This is where the word Passover comes from. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So it's all a picture. Remember, it's a type and shadow. Egypt represents the enemy who is holding God's people in bondage. Moses is the deliverer. And then they have a sacrifice. Now listen, the sacrifice, all the people who were going to be a part of the sacrifice had to come out of their village. They choose a perfect little lamb without blemish, without any, any defect in it. All of the people had to walk by and touch the lamb because they are vicariously admitting the sacrifice of this lamb is for me too. So it wasn't just a high priest that did this. Every person who wanted to identify with needing this death to pass over their life had to apply the blood. Jesus has died for every person in the world that's ever lived, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But only if you apply the blood to your life do you escape death. That's the picture right here. Many people died in Egypt. Many died in Egypt because they did not apply the blood. So it's a picture that we begin with. All right, let me give you one more here. Let's go to the next one. Uh, I'll, I'll finish it. Do no work during the entire day because it is the day of atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God. So let's go, um, let's go to John 129. Uh, this is Jesus on the time he's being baptized. John the Baptist is his cousin. John's job is to prepare the world for the presence of the king. So when John sees Jesus coming to be baptized, look at the wording that he used. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look at the words, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. So Jesus is the fulfillment now of those things. And then let me read to you Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of who? The devil, who had the power of death over all of our lives. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. All right. So the Bible says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Through one man, Jesus, Jesus had to leave heaven and become flesh and blood because it was a man who caused a fall. It was a man who had to redeem us from the fall. And he did it with his blood. And so this last one right here. So Christ has now become the high priest. Remember the high priest would go in with the blood of the innocent and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and God would cover over, not take away, but cover over Israel's sins with the blood on that day and only one day a year. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come and he has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. Look at this part. With his own blood, not the blood of a goat or a calf or a lamb, he entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Stop there for a second. Don't go to that next one. So it says that the blood of Christ purifies our consciences. Have you ever had this experience? I got to go to the right, not to the left, sorry. Um, <laughs> Have you ever had this experience where you come to worship, but your conscience condemns you? You suddenly begin to think and remember all the things that are wrong, 
all the things that you should have done, all the things that you have done, all the things that keep you from being able to just fully open up your heart and give it to the Lord. And you spend your time just thinking of other things. You're distracted. You're pulled away. You can't get in it. Here's what this says, that the blood of Christ purifies our consciences so that when we come before God, we don't have to think of what's wrong. We can think of what's right. There's a lot wrong with me, but here's what's right with me. Jesus has forgiven me, and I am redeemed by him, and I am pure before him so that when I stand before the Father, I can worship, even, even chasing a guy up the street. <laughs> right? I'm using me and yelling out of my window, and acting like a maniac, and forgetting there's a title pastor in front of your name. I can still walk into this room instantly and raise my hands and God's not holding that against me in any way, shape, or form. Was I wrong? Yeah. Can I say, God, forgive me? Yep. But it's the blood of Christ that purifies my conscience so that when I come before him, listen to me, not one person, if you're a Christ follower, there's not one thing that you've done that Christ cannot forgive and has not forgiven. Amen. Your sin is not bigger than the blood of Jesus. Your habit is not greater than the sacrifice of Christ. There's nothing you have going on in your life that Jesus is not greater than. And when you come to that place where you are free in him, man, what a place to live your life from. Terry and I, uh, we kind of grew up in the same church, and I won't mention what it was. Terry was my youth pastor, for those who don't know. Yeah, Terry got me into the ministry. Remember when, when um, I went to him and just told him that the Lord had called me into ministry, and Terry gave me my start and helped me get going. I always thank you for that, Terry. Thank you for how many people you've done that for. I, you won't know till you get to heaven, man. How many people you've helped in our church feel a part of something and feel good about just, you know, being here. You, you and Nancy just, yeah. Yes, Nancy. Yes, Nancy. He purifies our consciences so that these things are true, Nancy. They're true. But we grew up in a church that just... Um, it had good things about it, but man, they just preached sin. Get the sin out, get the sin out, get the sin out. What can you do to get the sin out? Only Jesus can get the sin out. Why do we spend our time thinking about our sin rather than thinking about the Savior who took care of our sin? Why do we spend our time thinking about what's wrong and all the stuff that just messed up rather than who's right and what he does to make me holy and right? That's the place to dwell at and think about uh, let me finish reading. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. That's heaven. For Christ died to set people free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Real quickly, let me see if you know the Bible. Uh, the wages of sin is... One more time for those who don't know it. The wages of sin is if you're going to stand in heaven and have to answer to God for your sin, there is no bargain you can make. There is no price that you can pay. You will stand guilty. You will not make it to heaven. Listen to me. You will not make it to heaven. It is the judgment of the world and every person that's ever lived yesterday, today, and tomorrow will stand before God and give an account for their life. And if you're going to try to bargain that you're not that bad, that someone else is worse, Pastor John, for instance, 
Remember that story he told God? I never did that. Dude, you will stand guilty and the wages of your sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God, here's the second part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's what God has done for us. This blood then, Okay, so here's, I teach all that to ask this question. What are we doing when we plead the blood of Jesus? And if you're like, I'm unfamiliar with that, Pastor John. I don't know what that means exactly. So those who are familiar, when we pray and we're battling the enemy and we're praying for our families and we're praying over our church, we're praying over our loved ones, we're, we're, we're praying for the vision that God's given us, man. We're calling on the blood of Jesus. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus. I grew up with a mom who every time I walked out of the house, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. Now I'm so grateful. She's watching. She moved back to Denver. My mom moved back to Denver. Yes. She's, she'll, be, she'll be here next week. She's trying to get her apartment all set up. She, she texted me right before the start of it and said, I'm pooped. I'll watch you on TV this morning. <laughs> but I had a mom who understood pleading the blood of Jesus. Chris and I plead the blood of Jesus over you every day. I'm not lying to you. Every day. We bring this church up before the Lord and we ask that the Lord would protect you. And we ask that the Lord would keep you. Bill, I pray double for you, man. I'm just like, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> and triple for me. <laughs> but we ask the Lord, we ask for his protection over you. We ask that he keep you, that he's merciful to you, that he blesses you. But we always pray, we plead the blood of Jesus over the people that called Jubilee their home. Because we don't want you defeated by the enemy of your soul. We want you in triumph over the enemy of your soul. And you cannot do it in your strength and in your power, but by the blood of Jesus, dude, the enemy has nothing that he can stand against when you plead the blood of Jesus. There's no answer. There's no greater power. There's nothing he can do except lose. It was the blood of Jesus that defeated Satan. Now let me point something out to you real quick. Just like I, I've, I've taught this in the past. I don't have time to go there right now. Every major world power, since they've gathered together, going, let's go back 5,000 years, every major world power has somewhere, sometime, had a conflict with the Jewish nation. You can trace it in history. Every one of them tried to enslave the Jews and ultimately knock out the Jews. Why? So the Bible says that we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but we wrestle spirits, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy in, in the higher echelons sits over the seats of governments, enslaving people. Think about where enslavement comes from around the world. It's from governments, yes or no? So the enemy knows if I can snuff out the Jews, I can snuff out the promise that was guaranteed to come through Jesus. So he's always tried to do that, but Jesus was born. So the enemy ultimately thought, I win when I kill Christ. And the very action of killing Christ was the defeat of the enemy. You imagine when Satan was celebrating in hell that night? We win, we win. And then a hand with a nail print comes through and grabs him by the back of the neck. You think you win? You know, Revelation says at the end of time, he'll be held up in front of the nations. And the nations will say, that's what caused us all this trouble? Who will hold him up, Don? 
I bet it's Jesus with a nail print hand. And I bet it's his blood that justifies and says, you, you are nothing. You troubled these people and ultimately he will be cast into a lake of fire never to trouble again. But we live with the power of the blood of Jesus today. And I know it's terminology that's like, man, Pastor, blood, do we have to use that? Can it be something easier like water? Water doesn't do it. It's the blood of Christ and we cannot become ashamed of the blood of Christ. Hmm. The second one is just they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So let me do this real quick, right? The fill in the blank is testimony. Um, How much time do I have left? Haley, how much quicker am I today than I was last night? Yes. Okay, I got all the time in the world. Who said that? Katja, you're a sweetheart. Back to you. Okay, John 4. Now I'm going to do it because you gave me courage. All right. Jesus, uh, Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. It was this long-running feud and battle. Samaritans believed that where they lived was where the temple should have been built. And the Jews built it on the Temple Mount, right, in Jerusalem. And so there was this big argument between them, and it grew up over the years where Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. And in fact, remember, their their main mode of transportation was to walk. So if you were leaving Jerusalem, you had to go directly through Samaria to get to Galilee, which is where Jesus' ministry was, right? And most Jews would walk 30 miles out of the way not to go to the Samaritan territory, that's how long this feud had been going. Can you, how many of you would walk 30 miles out of your way? How many of you would walk? Yeah, hi, guys. <laughs> so here's Jesus, who, I mean, it's just, this is Jesus. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Uh, And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well uh, about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink of water. And many Samaritans from the village, okay, so now I've skipped here. There's a big story in between. (laughs) So Jesus asked the woman for a drink of water, and she says, hey, uh, first of all, you're Jewish, and you don't like us, and we don't like you. And I can't believe you're asking me for a drink of water. And then Jesus says to her, if you knew who was asking you, you would actually ask me for a drink of spiritual water. And it's water that if you drank it, you'd never be thirsty again. And the woman's intrigued by that. So she says, can you give me some of this water? So Jesus then begins to reveal to her and to prophesy to her and to reveal all things to her. And he says, why don't you do this? Before I give you the water, why don't you go get your husband so you both can have a drink? And she says, well, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus goes, ah, you're a truth teller. You're right. You have no husband. Because you've had many husbands. And the one you live with now, you're not married to. And there's no condemnation in it. And he's not talking down to her. He's just revealing he knows everything. He knows everything. And she's not put off by it. She's not like, who do you think you are to talk to me that way? She's like, do I still get a drink of the water? So Jesus reveals who he is, and then this powerful moment happens. She believes in Christ. 
And she drinks this living water that satisfies her soul. And it so changes her life that we then pick up the story here. She goes back to her village and she begins to tell people that she met the Messiah. Could you imagine that crazy conversation? Like if I walked in here, dude, I stopped at my mailbox and I met the Messiah. <laughs> and he changed every, he gave me this water. You couldn't even see it, but I drank it and I'm not even thirsty anymore. How many of you would go, yeah, I knew he was going to lose it one day. I knew, I knew all those years, I knew it was working on him. You'd go, that's crazy. This woman is so excited about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. She goes back to her village and she tells everybody about Jesus and this living water. And then we pick up the story. Many Samaritans from the village, what's that word? Believe. Believed in who? Jesus. Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever... Can you imagine? Jesus tells everything about you? And instead of hiding, like, oh my goodness. Would you say, oh my God, in that case? Because it was... Oh, come on. It's not... He's God. Never mind. So she tells them that he revealed everything about her and that she believes in him. And so look at this. So when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Her testimony, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. When we tell people, your testimony, when I grew up, your testimony, they'd have testimony night on Sunday nights. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. How many went to that church? Let me see. How many of you were tired of going to that? Yeah, okay. Uh, there's a lot of good about it, but there was a lot that was not good about it. So um, Sunday night was testimony night, and so the pastor would stop uh, after the organ stopped. Remember? Anybody have a testimony? And the same three women, 94 years old, would stand up to give a testimony. Now, the first time you heard it, it was great. But like it was the same testimony time after time after time. And God bless them. But if our testimony is only what happened in 1927, dude, somewhere we have lost the power of God in effect in our lives today. What has Jesus said to you today? What is he doing in your life now? How is he moving in your heart presently, currently? How are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? How is the devil being defeated? How are you moving forward? What is God doing that is so great that you should be opening your mouth? And somewhere in church, we've been pushed down, pushed back, shut up, and afraid to open our mouths about who Jesus is. Church, we've been lulled to sleep. And part of the ineffectiveness of the church today is that no one's willing to open their mouth and tell their testimony. What has God done for you today? And if you're like, preacher, you come on. You come on. You knock it. And if I scared you, good. You come on. Are you not excited about the most exciting thing ever? Amen. Have you become so complacent about it that heaven's just in the bag and life is just something to be uh, enjoyed until we get there? Come on. Don't die before you're dead. And don't give up a relationship with God that is living and active and it's incredible. Uh, you know what he did for me? Six years ago, man, I was laying on. Laying on a table, that scar right there is from a cardiologist who shoved a hose up my arm 
into my heart that I'm watching on a screen and I'm by myself and I'm shivering. They keep those rooms so cold. And I'm like, dude, are you going to pierce my heart if I don't quit shivering? And this nurse bends over and he whispers in my ear, Pastor John, I'm one of your sheep and I got you. I don't even know who the guy is. He never came to me after. This morning, oh, you like my, I just struggle with my back and my hips recently. It hurt so bad. This, I was almost convinced, just show the video from last night. Just give up. The enemy just, just, Stay home. Mail it in today. Can you handle this? <laughs> Amy reaches over last night. She says, Dad, the greatest act. <laughs> of spiritual warfare is that you didn't quit six years ago. She said, it didn't slow you down. You didn't stop. Well, someday I will, but not today. And then once I get up here and start going, oh, wait, 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 wait. God has touched me right now. I feel like I'm, instead of 58, 18. So you're in trouble. Because now I'm not tired, man. Now I just want to keep going. I will stop. I will stop. So I'm just telling you, he's alive. He's active. He's moving. He's fresh. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts, man. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He doesn't want just your words. He doesn't want just lip service to this. He wants your heart. He wants to show you how good he is and how much he loves you. He wants to give you a reason to go home and cheer and be excited and a reason to fight. Wants to give you a reason to fight. John, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Mm. Okay. How about this? Normally, um, can I tell one more story? Or do you want to take communion? Okay, now you got to stop. All right. Now you're, I appreciate it, but it's, where are you at? You tired? You know, the saying is, the mind can only take what the butt can handle. So, are you... <laughs> Welcome to Jubilee. I know, like, I'm never going back there again. Oh, but, 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 but. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible Pastor John. So, we can take communion. I can tell you one more story and then take communion. It's about Jesus. So, now what are you going to say? I don't want to hear about Jesus. Um, <laughs> okay. So, this is Mark 5. <laughs> Uh, this is all of the book of Mark. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, Jesus and the disciples, in the region of the Gerasenes. And I've been to this part. You should come to Israel with me. We don't do this. In fact, I've only gone there twice in 15, 15 trips. Um, so I probably should add it more. It's one of the prettiest parts of the Sea of Galilee. And it's got this real steep hill. So, so to the back of you is Syria. It's in the Golan Heights, and you come down from the Golan uh, onto the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had sailed 
with the disciples across the sea to this region called the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This is not the greeting that we're all looking for when we arrive someplace. Like you, want, you don't want a demon-possessed person to come greet you. The man lived in a burial cave and could no longer be restrained. So it's going to tell a little bit about him, uh, even with a chain. Uh, whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smash the shackles. This is the demonic. This is not some he-man. This is the demonic inside this guy. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered amongst the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. And this is the guy that comes to greet Jesus. Think about this. I, I don't think this is like a formal, oh, Jesus. This is like, ah! Yes? So when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him, and with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Now, this isn't the man talking. This is the devil talking through the man. Son of the Most High God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. If you look up the word Legion, it means thousands. So from that, we believe that possibly the man had a thousand demons in him. I, because there are many of us, at least it's not just one, but many of us inside this man. Uh, the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into these pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission to go. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. It did not turn out well for the demons. Uh, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news. Now, they're telling a testimony too. Spreading the news as they ran, and people rushed out to see what had happened. But look at this reaction. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Now, look at this man. These three things. He was sitting now fully clothed. Before, he's fully naked. Now he's fully clothed. He uh, is perfectly sane in his right mind, and he's able to sit instead of just wander and push and can't stop. This man's whole life has been changed. But look at their reaction. Uh, and they were all afraid. That doesn't make sense. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus, Go away! Leave us alone. And Jesus got back into his boat. But the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus to go with him. Please, there's only one this time. Please let me go with you. But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and give your testimony. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten thousand. Let me explain this. It's called the Decapolis. And it was pagan, 10 pagan cities. And if you've ever been to Bet Shin with me in Israel, that was the main pagan city. And the reason they had pigs in Israel was that not all of Israel was Jewish. Some of it was pagan. And Jesus has gone to a pagan place to set free a man who's bound. And this dude is begging him, let me go with you. No, no, go back and tell your testimony. This guy doesn't just go back to his family. How many places does he go? He goes to the 10 cities, the Decapolis, to tell his testimony. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns. 
of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. And then the verse ends there, what happened to this dude? Well, right after this, maybe three months, four months later, Jesus sails back to this region and this is when he feeds the 4,000 people. And the Bible teaches that so many people came to meet Jesus and hear Jesus, he could hardly move. He could hardly walk. So many people were crowding. So what did this dude do? He went and told 10 huge cities what Jesus did for him. He became the president of the Jesus fan club. He was so good and so excited at what Jesus had done for him that 10 pagan cities rushed out when they heard Jesus was coming and he fed 4,000 of them. This is one of the great miracles and it's because this dude told his testimony because the last time Jesus left, they begged him, get in your boat and get out of here. And then three or four months later, he comes back and thousands are there to greet Jesus. We overcome him by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. Open your mouth. But you can't open your mouth without an experience from God. Experience him today. Don't experience him through me teaching. You experience him. All right, I know. Haley, I, it's not as bad as yesterday, but I know it's there. Okay. Grab your communion. Chris. Thank you. Okay, uh, normally I would let one of the staff do this because it gives them um, a chance to do ministry here. But how can I preach about the blood of Jesus and then not take communion? with you guys. So we just talked about you need to have an experience with God. Uh, I think experience uh, trumps knowledge every day. You can bombard people with knowledge, but it's your experience that you're excited about. You can bombard people with scripture, but it's your experience that reaches a mind. It reaches a heart. It's where uh, I want you to experience him today. I wonder how many of us have taken communion hundreds of times and not experienced the Lord. We do it because it becomes road. It becomes habit. It becomes part of a tradition. This is not tradition. This is life. This is Jesus saying, remember me. Don't forget. Renew this. Refresh this. I am your bridegroom and you are my bride and I will come and get you again. And right now the Bible says he's building a place for us so that where he is, we will be also. And about that day and hour that he comes to get us, no one knows but the Father. And the Father will one day look at the Son and release him. Go get your bride. And then we'll do this with him. But in the meantime, he said, I won't do this again until I do it with you in my Father's house at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you keep doing this in the meantime to remind yourself that you're engaged to me. You belong to him. I never met a bride who wasn't excited about getting married. And the day I do, I won't do the marriage. Every one of them. But you know the one that's even more excited? The groom. They turn into little boys. Aaron and Hannah will be married here soon. Sorry, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. My favorite thing to do in a wedding is when the bride walks in to look at the groom. The bride is beautiful, but the groom is awestruck. He's awestruck over you. So passionate over you this morning. Calling you this morning. Remember me. Don't forget me. Get your heart back in this thing. It's not just your body. 
It's not just your mind. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Open this up. There's different kinds that we have. But pull back the foil. Get the bread, if you will, if you haven't already. And then open up the juice. So Jesus at the Passover supper, because he's the Passover lamb, introduces what we call communion. But it's really a supper. A supper for believers. And it's at the Passover. And in the Passover, they have four cups that they drink from. The third cup is the cup of redemption. So at the third cup, Jesus stands up, grabs that cup, the cup of redemption, because he's our redemption, and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a better covenant based on better promises. In the old covenant, God will if you will. But in the new covenant, God will even if you don't. Even if you're unfaithful, I remain faithful to you. <sighs> Can't lose. This is my body that's broken for you. So whatever you need, take it into yourself again. Healing? He was crushed, wounded, and bruised. It's not just spiritual healing, but it's physical healing. Do you need healing this morning? Anybody? Pastor's got his hand up. Yeah. Join me. So, Father, we remember the work of Jesus right now, this moment. His body broken for us. He took our place so we could have his place. God, you're so good. You love us so much. Every time we take this, it should remind us the ultimate love is that you didn't even spare your own son. <laughs> you gave him up for our sake. And so, God, all we can do is say thank you. How else? <laughs> How else? Thank you. Jesus, we do remember. We go back and we bring you into our present right now. Thank you for loving me this morning. Thank you for caring for me this morning. Thank you for healing me this morning. Thank you for saving me this morning. God, we remind ourselves of the fellowship. We love you. I love you. Let's take and eat. And the Bible says in the same manner, he lifted the cup to the Father and he gave thanks. And he said to the disciples, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take it into yourselves. Remind yourselves. Be partakers with me in what I've done. Not just observers from the side, but partakers together. We all need to touch the lamb this morning. We all need to be personally applying it to our lives. Jesus, we say yes to you and yes to your mercy and yes to your grace. Fill our lives again, Father. Consume our hearts again, Lord. Be strong on our behalf, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. Mm. Amen? Amen.